Thank you, Catherine, for sharing with us. All right, for the scripture reading this morning, we're going to be reading out of Matthew 21. So feel free to follow along on the bulletin or in your Bibles. Um, It's a longer one, so bear with me. But as we read it, just let these words wash over you and um, just try to put yourself in the place um, when this was happening as we celebrate Palm Sunday. All right, Matthew 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out, to the city to, went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, Lord, we just thank you this morning for this time to gather together to celebrate, Lord, a Sunday and a special Sunday um, in Palm Sunday. And we just pray that you prepare and cleanse our hearts, Lord, for the message that you have for us this morning. And just pray that we can all fellowship together, Lord, and recognize uh, the sacrifice that you made for us. Pray for Brian as he speaks, Lord, and um, just that we may connect with you in a special way this morning. Lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. I, I want to invite you to keep your Bible open to Matthew chapter 21. And um, as it's been already mentioned this morning, today is Palm Sunday. And um, for me, Palm Sunday uh, kind of just brings back memories of, of being a kid and not really fully understanding uh, what this is all about. And some person, some lady, like trying to pass out like these branches or something that you're supposed to, as a little kid, like wave as, uh, as you go by. And I'm like, I just don't understand this really at all. Um, And then as you get older, you just become familiar with facts. Um, You know, you've got this picture of people singing songs and and putting cloaks down or or shirts and and palm things. And and we can kind of recall the facts. Um, But it, it leaves you like asking a few more questions. And one of the things that you have to remember when we study the Gospels is that we know how things end up. So we are looking back in time, and we'll study an event that happens, but the people at the time 
don't have the same perspective that we have. So we have a unique perspective. And so we know kind of how this whole thing is going to play out, which puts us at a disadvantage as far as the climax of a story. But what we'll try to do is we'll try to understand this and try to, try to make some sense of it. So um, my normal routine is that I will um, begin studying a, a passage um, on a Tuesday, sometimes I'll start on a Monday and, and I'll spend the week trying to study and, and ask questions and, and, and break it apart and try to make sense of it. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things that happened this week is I just, I got stuck. And um, I got stuck on a picture. And, you know, I've read something, you read things and, and you like, uh, you kind of, you, you understand it. But but for some reason, uh, a picture just got me stuck for like a two Wednesday and Thursday. And uh, let me show you. So um, we know the story that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And, you know, the context is it's, um, it's almost the Passover. So most historians think about two million people, two million plus, are in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples are... Um, they're doing about a 13, 14 mile walk from Jericho up to Jerusalem. I think they gain about 3,000 feet. So it's a pretty hard walk. It, you know, go uh, walk from here up to the top of Bush, and that's uh, I think about four or five miles, and that's about 2,000 feet gain. So it's, it's a long walk. They get to Jerusalem, and, um, and he has the donkey. And, and then what happened was I started thinking about it this week, and I started looking at a couple of pictures, and I saw. A, a, a donkey. A, a do That's what Jesus asked for. And then I started thinking about um, how do people gain power? So Jesus, here, if, if you aren't aware, Jesus is, and we'll talk about this, is presenting himself as a king. As a king. So if you think back in historical times, how does someone become a king? Well, most often it's through military power. Okay? So you're tough. You're a soldier, if you think of King David or King Saul or anybody from ancient times. If you're going to be a king, you're, you're, you're a tough guy. You're a man's man. All right? And so I started thinking about that. And I started uh, thinking about generals' horses. And I came across, as a, a former American history teacher, I came across uh, a picture of General Grant's horse. And uh, his name was Cincinnati. And... Um, he was a gigantic horse. They said over 17 hands tall. And as you can see, there's, it's not the best picture in the world, but you can see the horse is looking away. The horse is magnificent and um, just stunningly beautiful and powerful. And I'm like, now that, that I get. That I understand. I can easily wrap my mind around this. And I started doing a little bit of history research, and there was a Russian general, and, and um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but after World War II, I could have just had like picture time of like generals, I thought I better not, but his whole chest was medals. This is after World War II, and, um, and the Russians can put on a, a parade as good as anyone, and he's riding this white stallion uh, after World War II in a victory parade. Another horse, similar size, just stunningly beautiful. And it's a sign of power. It's a sign of strength. And um, you know what? I, I like that. There's something, and I think it's true with all of us, there's something attractive about strength 
about honor, about achievement, right? It's no, where we live, you know, people, that's why we have paparazzi around here, right? Because they like to take pictures of, of people who have accomplished things. And people, it's in our nature, we want to look at it. We want to be attached and connected to somehow, some, to strong people, to meaningful people. I'm not a huge horse person. I think horses are cool, but I was, I, I, I was kind of captured by these horses and the strength and the power that these generals have. And then we look at this. Now that just ruined me for the week. Because that's what Jesus Christ walks in on. And... Um, you know, your response of giggling was, was similar to me. And I, and it, but if once it sinks in a little bit, it kind of hurts. Because that's not too cool. That, that's not quite as magnificent. And uh, the passage next picture says that the donkey is actually just a beast of burden. That it is as common as anything. There's nothing magnificent about the donkey. There's nothing spectacular about the beast of burden. And yet, that is the animal that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, chose to ride into Jerusalem on. And that kind of messed me up. Because I, I kind of, and I've, I've read the story since I was a kid, and I'm 46, so I'm, I'm familiar with the facts. But when you start thinking about, like, we sing songs about Jesus, we read our Bibles about Jesus, and we say... Um, at least some of us do here this morning. I'm sure that we're followers of Christ. And um, it's kind of baffling. And, and I was struggling all week um, to come up with a word that was kind of describing what I was feeling. And I listened to a sermon um, this super early this morning, and um, the pastor mentioned the word incongruous. Incongruous. And that is the word that captures King Jesus. And um, according to dictionary.com, it said about half of Americans have no idea what that word means. So if that's you, the word means to be inappropriate, out of place, or unbecoming. It is unbecoming. Go back to the next picture, please. It is unbecoming that the king of kings is riding on that. There's nothing attractive about it. There's nothing magnificent about that. In fact, Jesus Christ was just a normal-looking man. He didn't have a a suit of armor or a a chest full of of medals. He he arrives in a donkey. So that helps, or that should cause us to think a little bit. Thank you. We can um, go away from that now. That can uh, that should that should cause us to pause a little bit and think a little bit more carefully about what's truly going on here because the passage is about King Jesus. The passage is about the king who is not functioning and working the way we think. And I think uh, this will play itself out uh, in the passage as we look at it. But I think the thing for us to think about is this, is that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and that God orchestrated all of this. And that means it doesn't go the way we want. That we do not get to define Jesus' kingship. 
that you don't get to, I don't get to. That God the Father is the one who orchestrated and directed this story and Jesus is in control. And you don't get to define Him the way you want and either do I. We have to allow Scripture to speak for ourselves. And so there's nothing cool about it. It's just a, a regular old donkey that's used to bring Jesus into Jerusalem. Let's look at the story for just a moment. Matthew chapter 21, and uh, we'll begin this in uh, verse 2. This is the words of Jesus. He says this, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. So he doesn't even get, Jesus doesn't even get like a full-grown donkey. He gets like the, the, the partially grown one, right? And so um, I did more reading, and I just didn't find any pictures. But one of the things I read about donkeys in the Middle East is that are often smaller than the ones we have in the United States. And so they said that people, you'd have to like, a man would like have to lift his legs up so, if, so his feet aren't dragging. That even makes the picture worse. This little sloping back thing with Jesus having his knees up so his feet aren't dragging and just kind of stumbling along into the city. But I think one important thing to remember is this, is that God is in control. He is in control of your life and he works in incongruous ways. That he works in incongruous ways, which means that he works in ways we don't think. We think... We have a, uh, an understanding of our problems. We think we have a solution to our problems, the challenges we have. And God is saying here in this story, there might be solutions you have never thought of. There might be a way out that you haven't thought of. And it might even be a way out you don't even like. It might be uh, a way out that is not all that glorious, that might be just as routine as this donkey. So let's go on to the story. Verse 3, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And there's so many odd and head-scratching things, right? Can you imagine just some stranger walking up to you and said, the Lord said I need to borrow your truck. And you'd be like, so somehow something is going on here that God is working behind the scenes, that Jesus Christ is in control of this situation. And then verse 4 says this, <clears throat> This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. So, that's a key word, to fulfill. That means that God is in control. And I just want to say that again to you, that God is in control of your life. Whatever the situation that's going on in your life, God is in control. And the solutions might not be the way you think they should be. So this is a quote from Zechariah chapter 9 and, and verse 9. I think we have the verse here. So Jesus is, this is a quote from hundreds of years before. And you'll see the connection. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Now, O daughter of Zion, that is the people living in Jerusalem. That is just the inhabitants, the, the Jewish people living there. So rejoice greatly, you people of Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that is Jesus connecting what was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before. And then we'll go to one other place in the Old Testament, Isaiah um, 62. 
And that's another quote from what we'll read here. Isaiah 62. And look how this connects. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a, sing, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the people of Jerusalem, behold, salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. Now there's some important things being said there. And uh, in the English Standard Version, um, the word behold uh, is mentioned three times. And let's just look at the first one for a second. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. That's to all people. And I think it's valuable for us just to think for just a second that God, what, what's being said in Isaiah is this, is that God is speaking. That behold, that, to stop and think for a minute that God is speaking to us right now this morning. Um, I, have, I have friends in the neighborhood and over the years, um, one of the common things that is, is told to me is something like this, that uh, Brian, I'm really um, happy um, about that you go to church and that's a part of your life. But for me, um, the thing that, that God speaks to me in my garden, that I really enjoy working in my garden and God speaks to me in my garden. Or, or they'll say something like, God speaks to me in, into the ocean. And that's just code for like, I just want to go play and do my own thing. But we've we we got to say something nice that God speaks to me or, or God speaks to me in the mountains. And I'm not disregarding, I'm not saying that God can't speak to you during those times. But what I'm saying to you right now is that the Bible is saying that God speaks clearly through his word. He speaks clearly through his word. And what is the message? The second behold, that salvation has come. That means that the free gift of salvation, that God's grace is free to all people. And that is what is coming that's riding on a donkey. There's clarity there. there. There's understanding. There's significance. And then the third, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And that means that this message of hope, of salvation, is going, on, going beyond Jerusalem. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's for the people of the world. And so there's some understanding of what's going on here. So let's go back to Matthew for just a moment. Matthew chapter 21, verse 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, So God is in control. He's working things out. Verse 5 says this, Say to the people of Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a beast of burden. And so God, God is working in ways that people don't normally think. So let's, let's try to break this down and try to understand this a little bit. Verse 5 says this, Behold, your king is coming to you. And in this verse right here, this is a passage that God speaks in a way that's personal. That right now, that God is speaking to you. And that is the intention that Matthew has here. Behold, the incongruous king, the king of kings, not the one riding on the white stallion, the one riding on the donkey, the humble king is coming to you to speak to you this morning. And I, I know that when I say something like that, for some people we want to deflect. And we're like, no, 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 I, I, I came to church because I think God's going to speak to other people or hopefully my husband or my wife and, and they'll be a little bit better of a person. 
But this idea that God's speaking to me, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, the idea that God has come to this earth specifically for you to rescue you, he's coming to you to, to speak to you, can be intimidating a little bit. And it, it should cause us to think for just a second. I know, um, maybe this has happened at work for you before, but when I was a teacher, um, my principal would come up to me and say something like, Brian, I need to see you in my office at 2.30. And in your mind, you're like, oh, what did I do? I can't, right, did I do something? Did I say something? Are parents mad at me? You know, if I called one of you and said, um, I really need to speak to you this week, and um, I got some really important things I want to talk to you about. Now, some of you might be like, uh, does he know something? Did somebody talk to him about something going on in my life? Is he going to confront me about something? Um, I remember I had this like kind of nightmare scenario that happened to me when I was a freshman in high school. And I was on the basketball team, and I was... I was not very good at all. So what had happened one day was it was on a, it was almost like it was just this time of year. It was spring break. No, it could have been spring break. It must have been like a winter break because it was basketball season. And um, we had an away game, and I was really bad, so I never played. And so I thought, you know what? And this is back before email, so my parents had no idea about the game. I thought, you know what? Fishing with my buddies, or go sit on the bus for an hour, sit on the bench for hour and a half, sit on the bus again for an hour back, or go fishing with my buddies. I'm like, I'm, I'm bailing. I'm not going to go to this game. I'm just I'm going to. So I'm home and um, playing and messing around the front yard. I'm 14 or 15, getting ready to go fishing or something. And um, I look up, and I look down the street, and I see a big yellow bus coming up the street. And I'm like, no. This can't be happening. I'm a freshman, right? They don't. This and it's a varsity basketball team, boys and girls, JV boys and girls. Like the bus is packed full of people, and I'm like, oh no. So I, what do I do? I run in the house and hide. <laughs> I'm like, please no. Stops right in front of my house. Coach gets out. Come on, get on the bus. And I'm just like, I just right. How embarrassing, right? The bus was coming for me, and I thought I was a nobody, and I didn't like it, and I ran, and I tried to hide. Guess what? Genesis chapter 3, when we do something wrong, when we feel a little guilt, a little shame, a little embarrassment, we run and hide, and we deflect, and we avoid, and the mistake we make is this. Look at verse 5, it says this, a humble king. Some translations, translations say gentle. And the reason why he's on a, a donkey, the reason why he's on this common beast of burden is because we are, are all in equal need of God's grace. And Jesus Christ does not come to you as an authoritative coach ready to yell in your face. He comes as a, as a gentle meek, humble king. This just changes everything about how we think about Jesus Christ as king. That he's coming in humility, in gentleness. And he's coming to heal. In verses prior to this, Jesus is healing people. In the verses after this, Jesus is healing people. 
And so King Jesus is coming in humility and gentleness. He's coming to you personally to bring healing into your heart, to bring healing into your life. That's who he is. So King Jesus is personal. He's coming for you, but he's coming for you in gentleness and in humility to offer you hope, to offer you peace. Number two, Jesus or King Jesus is paradoxically transformative. That Jesus is paradoxically transformative. And I've talked about this already a little bit, but the idea of Jesus being a paradox. That we would all much rather have King Jesus ride on the beautiful white stallion with power and strength and dignity. But there's more even to this story that that alludes to the paradox of this. If you look, we'll continue reading. Verse 6 says this, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the, the crowd had spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And uh, John chapter 12 is the passage in the Bible that talks about the palm branches. And so that's where we get that idea. Matthew doesn't mention it, but um, the gospel writer John does. And um, w- one of the things that's significant about that, and, and I learned uh, this this week, I hadn't heard this before, is that the branches, these palm branches, actually had significance other than Old Testament times um, that were used during the Feast of uh, tabernacles. So there were many Jewish, if you look back in the Old Testament times, there were many Jewish uh, festivals and, and celebrations, and for the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would use palm branches. Well, like, okay, what, that didn't mean too much to me, but I, okay. And then what happened, I, I came across a, a really interesting story that, that took place between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there was about, you know, about 400 years of time and it was during that time that the Syrians um, were controlling Israel and had controlled Jerusalem. And if you remember back a long time ago in your history classes, there was a really, really bad guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. Does that name sound familiar? Well, he was one of the leaders of Syria and just um, did unspeakable things, um, horribly, horribly violent things to the Jewish people. And so that um, brought about... Um, uh, a few guys that were really um, tough guys, rebel guys, and um, they said, you know what, we're not going to put up with this anymore. And one of the guys' name was Judas Maccabees, if you remember that name from history. And so what had happened was they kind of organized these little guerrilla warfare type things, and they would just go after the Syrians. And so um, over time, they, they won some, some freedoms. But there was one guy named uh, Simon. And by the way, that's where you get the holiday of Hanukkah, right? Connecting with that. But there was one guy I'd never heard of. His name um, was Simon Maccabees. And um, he led a revolt that drove the Syrians out of Jerusalem. And in order to celebrate Simon Maccabees, they threw him uh, this big parade. And guess what they used? They used palm branches to celebrate Simon Maccabees as this um, courageous military leader who was able to kick out the Syrians. And so these were real tough, tough Jewish soldier guys. And, um, and so it became this symbol that palm branches 
um, had a military connotation to them. All right, so think about that for a sec. So let's go forward to Jesus' time now, and people are waving palm branches. Remember that Rome is in control, and the disciples and the crowds are excited about what's happening. Now, what are they excited about? About the possibility that he would fulfill this new reign. And look where we get this. This is verse 9. And the crowds um, that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna. That's salvation. That's God saves us, as we sang this morning. And then it says, to the son of David. So, last little bit of Jewish history. King David, if we go back, I think we have it, 2 Samuel. Do we have that passage? I think we do. The people are shouting and singing. They're throwing cloaks down. There's palm trees. Everyone is ecstatic about Jesus Christ. He's done all this healing and amazing things. And they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, what does that mean? The son of David was his future kingdom. And here's, this is going back to um, Old Testament times. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that means David's going to die. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that's what the Jewish people were longing for. So they're being oppressed by the Romans, and they think maybe Jesus Christ is this guy. But they misunderstand. And so they're celebrating. And one of the, the, the dilemmas really about studying this passage is there's lots of things we just don't know. But one of the things we do know is that there was some misunderstanding because in Matthew chapter 27, um, you might be familiar with this, Matthew chapter 27, the crowds several days later are the ones shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Now we don't know exactly if it's the same people, just, we just don't know. Some people say yes, some people say no. But what we do know is there's a misunderstanding and I think what's important for us to understand is this, is that we can get confused, we can get um, misguided in our Christian life when we don't understand that God works in incongruous ways. That we don't get to define the kingship of Jesus. That we don't get to define how he works in our lives. And when we misunderstand, look, look, look how the crowd changes. When Jesus does not do what he what they had hoped, they turn on him. When Jesus does not fulfill their expectations, they turn on him. Now what's really interesting is that in this story, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is arriving on a donkey. And here's the message again, that Jesus Christ is offering his grace and salvation to all people, to every person but when we fast forward to the book of Revelation and it talks about Jesus Christ returning again, it's not on a donkey. It's not on a donkey. And let's look at that for one second. I think we have the, the, the passage up here and I'll read it from my Bible. So we need to think about this. There's a confusion. There's a misunderstanding. Jesus is arriving now on a donkey. The people love it. But when he does not fulfill their expectation, they turn on him. And now he's going to come again. Now he's coming back again on the white stallion. And listen to what it says. Then I, say, then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. 
The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in his righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head many diamonds. And he has a name written that no one but him knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horses. From which comes out, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And so what Revelation is saying is this, is that there will come a time when it won't be a donkey, when there will be a time where Jesus Christ will bring judgment. And the judgment is based on this, whether or not we receive the free gift of salvation. And if you go back to, if you go back to Matthew, and we'll finish up with this, look carefully about who is it that receives Christ. Who, who is it that follows Christ? Who is it that is healed by Christ? And who is it that gets the wrath? Verse 12 says this, Jesus enters the temple and drives out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, and you have made it a, a den of robbers. And so in those verses, Jesus is directing his wrath and anger at religion, at the religious system, at morality, at people who think of themselves as self-righteous, who think of themselves as morally superior than other people, as people who think of themselves as the ones who are close to God, who follow God and look down on other people. Look at verse 14. Who is healed by Christ? The blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. So look at how this works. Jesus Christ is coming as the humble king, offering his love and grace to all people. Who rejects him? The morally self-righteous. The religious people who are quite confident that they are morally superior than other people. Who is it that receives Christ? The hurting people, the broken people, who do what? They come to Him. Verse 14 says, The blind and the lame come to Him. And what does Jesus do? He heals them. What does Jesus do to the morally self-righteous, to the religious? He turns their tables upside down. Destroys the place. Jesus comes and works in our lives in ways we don't think. And the message of what's happening here is this, is that God orchestrates this plan to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross so that there can be peace and healing between all people and God. It is not, about, it is not a message about cleaning yourself up. It is not a message about self-improvement. It is a message of humility. 
is a message of hope. It's a message of peace because God is coming to you. It is not us cleaning ourselves up. It is not us figuring life out and saying, once I get life figured out, I'm going to make my way to Jesus. Jesus is coming to you on a donkey in humility and offering his hope and peace to you. And our response, hopefully, is that of the blind and the lame, that we come to him, that we, we, that we receive his healing. Look back up and we'll finish with this. Verse, go back to verse 10 for a sec. Um, it says, And when Jesus enters Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? So that means that there's some people that are 100% on board. There's some people asking questions. There's some people that are unsure. There are some, the religious leaders, that are in other uh, Gospels say, Jesus, you better denounce this whole thing. That are absolutely um, upset with what's going on. And then what's interesting is this. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. In the early book of John, the gospel writer says this, what good can come out of Nazareth? Can we, do we see the picture of what's being drawn here for us? Nazareth? You know, I don't, I don't want to pick on any city here because we, we're kind of Malibu snooty already. But it's kind of like, you know, just picking something. You know, um, we, I, I, when I grew up in Washington, there was always one town that we made fun of um, and, and that's kind of the funny place. That's where Karen and I bought property years ago when we first got married. But we mocked people from Quillacy in Washington. And, and that's where, like, Jesus came from. Right? So whatever city you like, eh, I, don't, I don't like that. That's like, you look down on, that's where Jesus Christ came from. So he comes from the outcast city on a donkey coming for all people. We think about that for a second. King Jesus from the outcast city riding on a donkey coming for all people. And who gets upset at this message? The self-righteous. So I encourage you this morning to look at your heart and ask yourself the question, are you willing to submit to King Jesus? Are you willing to submit your life to the one who comes on a donkey to the one who gives hope for all people, to the one who gives peace to all people. And guard our hearts about rejecting the man who came on a donkey, lest we be like the morally self-righteous, like the Pharisees. Jesus came riding on a donkey to offer hope and love for all people. We're going to... Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have communion this morning. And so I want to invite the worship team to come on up. Please join uh, your hearts with mine in prayer as we look at um, communion this morning. Father, I pray that we would be willing to pause for just a moment and, and look, look carefully about who you are and how you work. I pray that as a church family that we would be willing to open our hearts to, to the truth that you might be working in our lives in ways we can't think. That we, we might be attracted to the, the powerful, beautiful horses 
But help us to remember that you came on a donkey, that you came for all people, that you came for the blind, you came for the lame, you came for the needy. And Father, I pray that as we take communion this morning that we understand that it is a symbol of grace, that you gave your body, you gave your life for us. We ask these sayings in your name. Amen. Before we uh, partake, I'd like to read just a, a few verses out of Matthew this morning. And this is just a few days later. I think, uh, w- was there handouts on the seats this morning? There's supposed to be handouts passed out, white handouts. Maybe, are they in the back maybe, Casey? So on your way out, we've printed out, if you look back at Casey, Casey's right there. We've got um, handouts of the Passion Week that every day of the week um, is explained with, with Bible verses. And so this is just a few days later from, from Palm Sunday. And this is Jesus sitting down with his disciples. And he says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so the image here, the picture is this, is that we are taking the bread that symbolically represents the body of Christ and the cup, which symbolically represents his blood that was shed on the cross for us. Communion is a time for the followers of Christ, to renew in their hearts the grace-filled covenant. It's not about us pulling ourselves together, not cleaning ourselves up. It's remembering that the grace of God is free and all you can do is receive it. That the blind and the lame were healed, not because of something they did, but because of receiving something that was done. And that's what the Gospel says. That everything that God requires of you is done on the cross and you can find rest for your restless heart because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Father, I pray that as we come this morning and and share in communion as a church family that we would rest in your grace, that our restless hearts find peace and we can stop trying to do self-improvement but that we can find our hope and our identity and what you've done. And that we can say thank you, Lord, and we submit our lives to you because of what you've done for us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.